Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we look back at the latest IGN scandal. Why Slenderman may have performed so poorly and what games may be catching our eye for the game of the year. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And yes, we're back again. It's another episode of the pop culture cosmos my name is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today it isn't a true pop culture cosmos show without my good friend the man the myth the legend behind humanica media you can check out all their great stuff today on humanica media on facebook and twitter it's josh peterson pop culture journalism came up again in the news when the game Dead Cells, which is a highly rated, very well thought of, very critically praised game, which just came out. It's available on many major platforms. And from what I've seen of the action and, and what I've seen in detail from the actual reviews, I think a lot of people should give this a chance and an opportunity because it could be one of the games that reaches out for the game of the year. And I know Josh and I are going to be talking about that here coming up about game of the year possibilities. But yeah, if people are out there give Dead Cells a try because I hear really good things about it. One of the places I heard really good things about it was an actual review by IGN. And this review by IGN was from Nintendo editor for IGN, Philip Myusen. Unfortunately, it was pulled down almost a day later. Well, actually, it, it stayed up almost for almost a day. It was pulled down, the YouTube review, plus also the written review, after complaints of a possible plagiarism from a YouTube reviewer who actually reviewed the game, I think, a few days prior. And if you look at the transcripts, word for word almost, it was pretty much the same review in many points, in many paragraphs. Not just a sentence, not just a few words, but in paragraphs, there were many similarities. So I ask you, my friend, we've had this issue before a long time ago with your game source, and I've tried to be as well as the former editors for us who've done an outstanding job, Sarah Martinez, Stephanie Johnson. We've tried to make an effort to try and avoid plagiarism of any kind. We did encounter one episode where someone turned in something to us, and it was blatant, and uh, we notified that individual we were not going to run the review or article on that. And I still check for it time to time with certain writers and whatnot. So I ask you, my friend, when it comes to things like that, especially from what we were talking about earlier, high traffic locations such as IGN, 
What does that say about the pop culture and game journalism as a whole when we resort to tactics like that? Because the individual himself was fired the next day. You know, if you have a problem with my plagiarism, you should just come out and say it. Well, the fact that you can't even do it right and ends up being your own original content, that shows right there that, man, you're just incapable of plagiarism in itself because you can't even do it right. I can't even plagiarize right. Jeez. What is this world coming to? Okay, so this this one's interesting because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of articles on this. He took the content from Boom uh, Boom Slang Games or something, Boom something or other. Boomstick Gaming. Boomstick Gaming, yeah. And, the, you know, the guy was pretty humble about it. Like, I, he went onto the Reddit thread and said, hey, I think IGN just plagiarized one of my game reviews. What do I do? And then... You know, IGN, they were quick to respond to that. Like they Well, he also had a he also put up a video showing the comparisons of the reviews as well, which got over a hundred thousand hits. They were quick to put up like take the video down and put up a statement saying, Hey, we're investigating this. And it was odd to say the least. So I, at first, like I wanted to really give this guy the benefit of the doubt because in or what's his name? Philip Philip Mewson or whatever. Because in gaming journalism, you are using a lot of the same words. You're using, you know, Metroidvania, roguelike, roguelike things like that you're using a lot of a lot of the same words to write game reviews so it's hard to to really throw something out there that's different like i try to approach different in my game reviews by talking more about the story than about like the the technical stuff behind it because i find that stuff more interesting but so i i started digging into this a little more when you see it in certain articles they show that there's paragraphs literally almost lifted word for word from the actual Boomstick Gaming review, and that was transplanted onto this IGN review by Philip Mewson. Yeah, so and the more you look at it, the more the similarities are like, okay, this has got to be more than a coincidence, but it's also one of those things where, you know, kind of like you watch shows and you find out that cops were dirty, and so like all the cases that that cop has worked, they turn into a storyline where all that stuff gets undone. And you have to deal with the repercussions of this. In this case, they had to go back and look at all the articles that this guy's written and found out that he had not only plagiarized this one, but he had plagiarized several others. So this puts you at a point where, like, you know, it's not IGN's fault. I get it. Like, IGN is more than one person. They had just had one guy screw up. But what gets me is that he's an editor. So right. not, not is he just a writer. He's not just a freelancer throwing something at them. You know, for me, it would be a remote operation because I'm aspiring to be a freelance writer. This was somebody that was in-house editing and nobody overseeing that editor actually took notice of his plagiarism for, like you said, several articles. You know, and again, like it sucks because it makes a lot of other people look bad. And IGN's kind of the, you know, they're the big shark in the, in the aquarium, but it's, I feel bad for the people that work for IGN mostly. And at the same time, you know, as the big shark, you are held to a higher standard and you do have more responsibility when it comes to making sure that things like this don't happen. And, you know, like I was saying before, the guy from the, the guy who was plagiarized from like he, he was very humble about it. He just said that he he wants to be compensated for his work. He doesn't want the He didn't want the guy to get fired, but he did. Uh, what's it, Philip Mewson did get fired and it, he really will not ever work in the industry again. And you know, like we were talking about with our journalism classes, like that was another thing they taught us was super important was to never plagiarize anybody else's work because that's just, you know, it's not just lazy journalism, but it's wrong. And this has been a bad year for IGN after the fact that they just recently 
got out of a harassment scandal with some high up editors as well. So <laughs> it's not been a good year for IGN. But wait, does that mean I can't plagiarize from your reviews as well? Um, only the stuff that I got wrong, you're allowed to plagiarize. Well, fair enough then. If you want to weigh in with your thoughts on the latest IGN snafu, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com and popculturecosmos, humanity comedia, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. We are going to have a great show for you today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire, where we talk about all the problems with Slenderman and if it should have hit the big screen in the first place. Greg Hall from We Podcast and We Know Things is also back talking the recent deaths of Jim the Anvil Neidhart and Brian Christopher and the diverting careers between him and a former tag team partner in one Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Then Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast also stops by as we weigh the importance of drafting a defense and kicker for your fantasy football team. All this and Josh and I will be back talking Game of the Year thoughts on the back end of the show. But before we head to a break, I just wanted to have a moment of silence to honor the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, who unfortunately passed away last week. Your beautiful voice and spirit will be missed, but truly never forgotten. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, Head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D and the number one at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man among men when it comes to Rob McCallum Films, because it is robmccallumfilms.com is my good friend. It is Mr. Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? The man among men in the place where he does his things called Rob McCallum Films. First of all, I don't know that there's a whole bunch of men standing around in the nexus of the internet space known as Rob McCallum Films. I just, that was quite the intro. You just kind of weaved your way through a whole bunch of alliteration and boy, you set up something I don't know if we can deliver on in this episode. Well, we'll certainly give it our best shot. And tell you what, it's just great having you back here, man. Just I know you've been very busy with all the projects that you're doing. And I just appreciate you taking time, to, as always, to talk to us. But, you know, I'm just trying to deviate another cheesy intro to another cheesy intro that, you know, I'm well known for. But we're not here to talk about you being a man among men. 
But we're here to talk about everything that's going on in pop culture. And pray tell, Rob, what's going on in your world when it comes to pop culture? Well, there's been a lot of buzz about Slender Man. Of course, it now is uh, hitting the big screens and disappointing a lot of people. And while it's not too far from the, the run of things to see footage in a trailer that doesn't appear in the final film, there's a little bit of a fan outcry going on right now with the amount of stuff that has been removed. According to a Slash Film article, there was a number of key scenes that were taken out at the last minute by Sony execs who got really scared. And this goes back to some real life events that happened surrounding Slenderman. 2014, two 12 year olds brutally stabbed one of their schoolmates 19 times in an effort to sacrifice her to Slenderman. The victim miraculously survived the attack. I don't know what this is about the proficiency of 12 year olds and knives. And the two young attackers ended up on trial. They got off uh, not guilty by mental disease or defect. People connected to these specific events said, you know, it's absurd that they want to make a movie like this. It's popularizing a tragedy is what it's doing. I'm not surprised, but in my opinion, it's extremely distasteful. All we're doing is extending the pain that all three of these families have gone through. So I bring this up because, one, not that I care that things were deleted from the film for whatever reason, but at what point do we have to make the call to pull something back because of real-life events maybe dictate better taste or should we censor it you know this is art and censorship and the real world uh, effect of such things what are your thoughts on that well i spoke to jason todd feinberg from honey queen last week about slender man and this whole issue as the movie was coming out and understanding or trying to understand the actual mindset of the sony execs for actually bringing this out when they did because obviously the movie Maybe it's because of the controversy. Maybe it's because people just didn't care. It just did not have the bang from the get-go that normally horror movies do because horror movies are predicated on a first two-week opening. They have to hit out strong in the first two weeks or they're really going to end up being a bust. I would not have brought out the movie at this point in time or even thought about putting it in the production stage because there's just a lot of bad... I guess, mojo when it comes to the Slender Man. And I'm not sure the urban myth or legend is popular enough or endearing enough to people out there to support actually a hit movie. And so I actually just, as a whole, just questioned the decision-making of Sony to even release the film in the first place. Well, it's interesting because there was an ongoing battle behind the scenes between the producers and Sony themselves. They wanted it to be on more screens. And they even thought about pulling it from their Sony deal and shopping it around to other studios to get a wider release. Sony saw this as a very indie, uh, like Bloomhouse kind of release. And these guys saw it as something more with, with bigger legs. And it almost kind of killed the deal because of the two different sides. And now Sony, of course, because they own the work, you know, made all these decisions at the last minute. And I'm sure the producers and filmmakers are going to say, well, hadn't you cut all this stuff, yada, 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 which might just be a tactic to further exploit, you know, digital home sales down the road, the uncut, version that you was too horrific for theaters or whatever it is i don't know that i buy into the urban legend or the the myth i think it is a thing whether it's strong enough to support an entire film at this point as a whole other question what are your thoughts on the censorship though i remember another film that had to grapple with this was monsters incorporated in 2001 it came out about a month and a bit after september 9 11 happened and they had a building explode Harryhausen's restaurant and they changed it so that there was a plastic 
plasma shield over it to act as the quarantine zone for, of course, Boo, who was, you know, running around Monstropolis. So that's a, an, an example where the artists took it upon themselves to censor their content to be sensitive to, to audiences. What is the role, do you think, of the artist or studios to, to censor with events going on or should they? Well, it, it all depends on the scenes in question. I mean, how over the board, how over the top for even a horror movie was it? That's what we have to understand and, and find out because there should only be a relative few number of times where you're actually, as a movie studio, actually go ahead and cut scenes out or step in and say, hey, this is not going to be going on to the big screen. If you're shooting for, let's say, a PG-13 rating, that's one thing. But this is an R-rated horror movie. The only reason I would say, if it's just too over the top, or if it's just something that maybe is in poor taste for something relative to what's going on in real life, to me, there's very few instances where this could happen. Or if you're just trying to elude an X rating, which, as you and I both know, means box office death. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that the the question of, you know, how far can I go in an R-rated horror film really applies. Those films have to go as far as they can in order to secure their reputation. Because like you said, they're so dependent on that first two-week run. And after that, it's usually does it evolve to cult classic status or does it not? And the thing that helps them get them there is the absurdity and how far they can push that envelope. I mean look no further than Human Centipede, right? Like, not a great film by any stretch, no pun intended, but it is memorable. It has kind of reached cult classic status because it pushed the envelope in such a bizarre and twisted way that you have to say, yeah, that had never been done before. Slenderman, again, we're not dealing with, you know, something so original that we're just like, yeah, you know, we got to give this movie more credit. I haven't seen the film, so I don't want to talk out of turn. I'm sure it's creepy and has its moments and stuff, but I think this is just another run-of-the-mill horror film that has a little bit of inkling that's tied to the real world, but not much else. So in this case, it's like, if you have the leeway to deal with supernatural entities, you may have the leeway to remove any content that does harm to people that have maybe associated with this in the real world just a shame like i said that all this is happening because of such terrible incidents took place because or influenced by the urban myth urban legend of slender man in the first place and those incidents that took place relating to that really started this downfall for this film actually being questioned by many including myself for even being made yeah it's only a 10 million dollar production Maybe what throw in another ten, fifteen million for I guess marketing and and other costs and whatnot. The movie probably will not make its money back worldwide. It looks like it's maybe getting twenty million dollars in the theaters worldwide is probably what their the end goal or the end take will probably end up being. You're banking on that home video, DVD, Blu-ray streaming type and, market. And I got to tell you, with Apple's digital sales being up a tremendous amount in the last quarter, I mean, more and more people are going to be dependent upon that. So again, we couldn't show this version in the theaters. This is the version that might come out later. I mean, even Deadpool 2, there's big banners all across the Apple TV movies app, you know, get the super duper extra cut. It's taken up more marquee space than I've seen any other title take up in the app store, which I think is kind of interesting for them to take that route. And that's where Slender Man is going to have to capitalize and try to see if it's going to make even a small amount of profit is in a future where you can see the 
unseen version of the movie and in its entirety if you're really into that type of deal and it's just like i said it's just unfortunate those incidents happen that are based off the urban myth or urban legend of Slenderman, and it just seemed like it was going to be doomed from the start when even the idea of a Slenderman movie came up if you have any questions for rob that i can bring up to him at any point in time please let us know popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well popculturecosmos humanica media game source and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter as well. Well, Rob, as always, it's been great talking to you, my friend. I know you're a busy man with all that stuff you've got going on, but it's just great to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire and, of course, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the show. Once again, it's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. He is one of the hosts of We Podcast and We Know Things. You can catch their awesome show today on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a gazillion other outlets. It is my good friend, Mr. Greg Hall. And also ESO Network now as well. Yeah, ESO Network, Greg Hall. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Shout out to Mike and Mike at the ESO Network for helping us out get on the network. Exactly. I think I like your show, like my show. I think I need like a you know just like a laundry list of all the the different radio stations and also podcast networks and podcast affiliates and podcast outlets and software apps that you can actually get our shows. So it's it's incredible that the amount of access that our shows, both of our shows, get each and every week. Yeah, it's up over 30 now for us, so we're excited. Oh, my gosh. Same here as well. I, I lost track and I lost count <laughs> once, once I hit in the, the mid-20s. So it's incredible indeed. But it is, again, we podcast and we know things. you got to catch their show today covering everything on pop culture. It's truly, truly an incredible listen each and every time out. You mentioned in our WWE SummerSlam preview about Natalia couple things I wanted to talk about before we head on out is her father, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, recently passed away at 63, so early from complications and a stroke due to his Alzheimer's, which at 63 is just so hard for me to fathom. Having Alzheimer's at that early of an age is just, to me, it's really scary. And it's really unfortunate. And my prayers and thoughts go to the entire Neidhart family. Your thoughts on Neidhart's contribution to professional wrestling and obviously it starts and quite a big portion of it is continued with the heart foundation and the heart foundation was for me growing up i just turned 30 a couple months ago so the era that the heart foundation really took off as a tag team and then a bigger staple when owen and the bulldog kind of came into that and they kind of made that stable that was huge for me growing up it was post rockers it was pre-DX. So it was that transitional stable that really made me glued to the set. And, you know, Jim Neidhart's laugh, that super infectious kind of almost heelish laugh that he had. And obviously the goatee and they made pink cool, first of all. And 
he was like the first big guy for a while in my life. I thought him and the big boss man were the same guy. And I thought he was just switching costumes. Uh, <laughs> um, but I have nothing but respect for Jim, what he did in the ring. I heard he was a, a, you know, I've heard and seen he's a great person out of the ring as well. A humble soul who just wanted to make people happy and laugh and a great father, Natalia, obviously coming from almost wrestling royalty, but again, thoughts and prayers with him and, he had an impact on me from a tag team wrestling perspective growing up and have nothing but respect for him. And his relationships with the famous Hart family, not only twice time married to one of the daughters of Stu Hart, and also being a big time member, uh, one of the last major contributors to Calgary wrestling before it was bought out by the WWE makes him, uh, you know, his status always there as far as professional wrestling. And, of course, to everybody that knows him uh, and knows his career and follows his career in any form of stature, knows his tenure as a WWE Tag Team Champion with Bret the Hitman Hart as part of the Hart Foundation. And they did a lot of things to not only make the tag team seem more visible, but they, they did a lot of things together that truly were very special. And uh, again, our thoughts and prayers go to the Hart family, the Knight Hart family, and everyone involved in regards to the passing of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. They have uh, the WWE Network, I think today, uh, which is Wednesday the 15th, have released a uh, collection on the WWE Network of all of Jim's best work. So if you want to, if you've never really gotten a chance to see him, if you are a fan who came in in the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe even after that, uh, and you never really got to see him work, well, there's a collection now on the network for you with all of his best stuff. So I encourage you to watch that. Absolutely. That's a great watch indeed. And for any big time fans or anyone that wanted to know and better understand the career of Jim the Anvil Neidhart, there's no better place to go to see that collection than the WWE Network. Definitely. That, that's, a, that's a great suggestion indeed. I also want to touch on another wrestling death, the unfortunate passing for Brian Christopher Lawler, better known to many in the late 90s when he was really doing well with the WWE as part of a member of Too Cool, Brian Christopher. Your thoughts with Brian Christopher, because of the fact that I wanted to ask you about this, because I wrote an article sometime back about the 25th anniversary of the breakup of the Rockers, a team that you're very familiar with and you're very fond of, and how the careers of Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels seem to really go in opposite directions. One very good, one not so good. In the early years of his career, he actually had a chance to team up with a debuting wrestler at that point in time named Flex Cavana. And not everybody knows the name Flex Cavana out there at that point in time, but that debuting wrestler in, in some of his first matches, as far as from a pro wrestling standpoint, came to be known as Rocky Maivia, and then as someone we know and now as Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So Seeing those two together, and I actually was looking back last week on YouTube to see Flex Cavana's actual debut as far as from an interview standpoint with Brian Christopher, and it got me thinking to see what the status of both was like, because both did go on to some early success in the late 90s in the WWE, but from there on in, it went south for one and it went north for another. 
Yeah, Brian Christopher, after, you know, when he got into the company, like you said, they kind of went two different places. And if you were to ask me in 1997, 96 area, who would have gone up and who would have gone down? I'd have said Christopher through the roof, and I would have said Dwayne down, because when Rocky Maivia made his debut, he came out with the tassels and the curly hair, and he was booed out of the arena. Um, it wasn't until he became a heel with the Nation of Domination that he got the rock persona, uh, referred to himself in the third person, showed his excellent promo work, and that kind of boosted himself. Where Brian Christopher was kind of a one-trick pony. I was introduced to him uh, during his feuds with Takamichi Noku, um, one of my favorite wrestlers from the 90s. I love Takamichi Noku. So I watched all of his matches. I'd go to West Coast Video and rent the latest pay-per-view, come home, pop it in the VCR, and, and enjoy over and over again. And I didn't realize he was Jerry the King Lawler's son until on a pay-per-view, they actually said, this is my son. And they became this father-son kind of heel team where Lawler would, no matter what, defend him on commentary. And it was really funny back and forth stuff. Then you come to find out that he turns into Grandmaster Sexay for too cool and never was more over than with Rikishi and Scotty Too Hottie. And they had the dance. And I was actually just watching Royal Rumble either 98 99 or 2000 with some friends a couple weeks ago and rikishi's cleaning house and then brian christopher comes in and then the next one is scotty too hottie and all three of them are in the ring alone during a royal rumble and the music hits and they're doing the dance around and scotty too hottie's doing the worm and it was a great time and then rikishi ends up eliminating both of them and saying hey i'm sorry like you got to do what you got to do and from then on you just don't really remember much and Unfortunately, his demons had taken hold of him after that, and he left the earth way too soon. But that's what I remember mostly about Brian Christopher was his Takamichi Noku feud and his time as Grandmaster Sexay. And like you said, his time before the WWE and after the WWE was pretty much based in and around the Memphis area. And as we both know, his father, Jerry the King Lawler, is a legend in the Memphis area. I mean, there's not someone that's down there that like or dislike pro wrestling that isn't aware of how, I guess, how prominent Jerry the King Lawler is within that society. Maybe there were some issues with that as far as being the son of somebody so famous in that area. Maybe there were other issues. An arrest led to an issue where they found him in a police jail cell in an unfortunate condition and weren't able to revive him. So there's still investigations going on with that. But to see him in his, his sad state as far as what happened to his career and to see where Dwayne of the Rock Johnson has gone from that point in time when they were both together in that small television studio in Memphis way back when in the mid-90s, it just makes you think how life can be for some people and they make the right decisions and some others when they don't. You mentioned Rock's career taking off after originally being somewhat considered a failure upon his entry in the WWE and not being loved or appreciated at all, even though he was supposed to be a quote-unquote fan favorite, much like I believe his uh, one of his relatives, Roman Reigns today, is that correct? Yeah, I think it's his uncle or his cousin. How ironic is that, I'll tell you. Yeah. So, <laughs> But if I was asked Dwayne The Rock Johnson the question, getting on Dwayne for just a sec, I think the question I would probably ask, and I was only if I was only allowed one, is how do you think your career would have gone down? What kind of road would you have taken 
if you had not had made that famous die rocky die promo and if and if you don't know what i'm talking about out there you just go to youtube or the wwe network and look for his first promo as a member of the nation of domination because that and i'm sure you would agree with me greg that's really where the path of the rock really came into being yeah, and it was his heel work that got him over, and then his face turn that continued it. If The WWE almost booked him to perfection for 10 years plus. I mean, they knew exactly when to pull the trigger on a heel turn, on a face turn. He was given carte blanche over his promos later on in his career where he could go out and say whatever he wanted. And, you know, he got, he had a lot of comedy stuff going on, but it was those heel promos that he cut early in his career that – put him on another pedestal, stratosphere, whatever you want to call it, to separate him, not only from the other members of the nation, because the only other vocal one was Farouk at the time, from the rest of the roster. And that's what put him in Stone Cold in that stratosphere for, the for what, five, six years together as the two faces of the company. Perfect booking almost all around from the WWE. So kudos to Vince and co for what they did with the rock. But yeah, die Rocky die was, was a hugely memorable one. And then as you kind of get on later, the, this is my life segment that he did with mankind is still one of, if not the highest rated segment of raw of all time. So just anytime you look back on the rock, it's either a WrestleMania match or it's a promo. That's what you kind of remember that you do. And I guess I'll just end with this. My thoughts on as far as, how those two have deviated in their lives, unfortunately, with the sad ending for Brian Christopher's life. It goes to show you, it just it's just how funny how life is and how life can take turns, some for the best and some for the worst. And you see Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, I'm talking about him. You're talking about him pretty much, you know, at least once a month, if not more, when it comes to all the movies that he's doing. He's, he's working on the Jungle Cruise live action movie right now at this point in time. So, his life has, has gone into a whirlwind when it was once after he, he finished playing in the CFL and, and his life was taking a downward turn. He finally turned to professional wrestling. And although it didn't start off well, like you said, it really has taken off from there. As opposed to Brian Christopher, who we thought at the time might be the more successful of the two because it looked like he had charisma. He looks like he had style, athleticism, and looked like he had a lot going for him. But unfortunately, that didn't turn out to be the case. When you see instances like this or with, like, with the Rockers or some other team or some other duo that, that you've seen that have gone in such vast directions, what does that tell you about maybe the lifestyle or the, the basically the, the life that is pro wrestling and how it can just really just go so far in one direction and so far in another? I think the the biggest thing that tells you is never take it for granted any second. And that's why, you know, you look at a guy today like Michael Bennett or as he is on the roster, Mike Kanellis, who's married Maria Kanellis. He is about a year sober now. He had a lot of demons that he was battling through personally. He was a huge star in the indies. WWE scooped him up about a year ago, a little less than or a little bit more than a year ago, maybe a year and a half now. And used him in the beginning as this power of love duo. Then Maria got pregnant and he kind of got taken off of television. But the greatest Royal Rumble that happened in Saudi Arabia a couple months ago, whenever that was, he got to come down. He was in it for about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and then got eliminated. And he got a bunch of crap on Twitter for it. 
And he tweeted out, and this has stuck with me. He was like, I got to be in a Royal Rumble event in Saudi Arabia. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter for how long. It's that I got to do it. So for somebody that enjoyed all this success on the indies, similar to a tag team, you enjoy all this tag team success, WWE can break up that tag team whenever they want. We saw with the Shield. Now those three guys went over, luckily, but that doesn't always happen that way. And you know, a guy like Michael Bennett who says, I'm not going to let this, you know, take this for granted. That's has, that has to be the mindset for a WWE or any professional athlete in general, but a WWE superstar with the travel schedule that they have this, that, and the other think of a more recent example in WWE is absolution that comes to mind for me because Paige is arguably the most over female performer of the decade. And Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville are riding high. They're led by Paige, and all of a sudden, she gets a neck injury at a house show and has to announce her retirement, and now Absolution's a mid-card at best. Not comedy act, but they don't pick up any wins. They just lost the other night on SmackDown. So it's just crazy how quickly things can turn. So any advice out there is just you never know when your last match is going to be. You never know when your next or last taste of success will be. So never, ever take it for granted. Absolutely. That's correct. And once again, we've got Greg Hall again from We Podcast and We Know Things. Before we head on out, my friend, you got to tell me and tell everyone out there why they need to listen to your awesome show, which you can find right now on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over 30 different outlets. Why they need to listen to your show, We Podcast and We Know Things. Thank you very much, by the way. We just hit our two year anniversary on July 31st of this year. So we're almost not an infant anymore. We're in our terrible twos and we're trying to make them the terrific twos. We just crossed episode 100. So we're about to uh, record episode 104 this weekend with our SummerSlam predictions in preview. And also we've done 29. I counted them right before we came on the air. Did 29, what we call bonus episodes, whether that be interviews with musicians, TV hosts, actors, directors, whoever we want to book or are kind enough to come on the show we have excellent interviews. We've done live episodes where we've had crowds come out to support the show from wineries and breweries. We've had stand-up comedians on the show. In fact, recently, one of my most fond interviews that I've ever done, one of the most fun two hours of our lives was we had Phil Moore on the show recently, who was the host of Nick Arcade back in the early 90s on Nickelodeon. And he's doing some other stuff now for Nickelodeon as well. He's a producer now, says he's getting the itch to come back to being a host. But if you want some good comedy, that interview, we were in stitches the entire time. He sang us the Nick Arcade theme song, but put our names and our podcast in there and we have it recorded. So it's really a special thing that we get to talk about movies and music and TV and games and wrestling, but we also get to talk about whatever we want. Uh, we, you know, we talk about the blockbuster, the last blockbuster that's around, they're making a movie about that. And we're probably going to have the filmmaker on the show to talk about that. We had one of the actors from the room, one of the, one of my favorite movies, but highly regarded as one of the worst movies of all time. We had Robin Paris from the movie on our show to do an interview. So we can have guests from all walks of life, all breaths, and we encourage you to check it out. We had, like I said, our two-year anniversary recently, and we're looking to never stop. We upload every single Saturday, like you said, on Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, iTunes, Apple Podcast, everywhere under the planet, Spotify, iHeart. So we really take pride in our content. We have a lot of fun doing it. We record at 7 in the morning on Saturday, so you know we're wide awake. 
it's a really good time. So we, uh, we appreciate anybody who comes and listens to us. Matter of fact, I'll spill some inside baseball. We are approaching 30,000 listeners and we had our biggest day ever the week after I came on this show last time. Well, that's awesome. I'm hoping that that continues for you and, and it can get bigger from there. Cause I'll tell you what, it's just so awesome to have another show that deals with pop culture and the way you guys do. And I've listened to the show before. It's a great listen. And I'm going to listen to that show with Phil Moore just because Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. Okay, sorry. I just vacated half our audience there. Every anyway, 90s person remembers that jingle. Yes, exactly. Well, as long as Ren and Stimpy comes right after it. But we won't go there. No, I, but, but Ren and Stimpy kind of overrated i'll just i'll go there i'll go there couple good episodes love the wrestling episode (laughs) that is the best that's the best nickelodeon has ever done sorry oh wow hey listen i think it's just a little little overrated i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying it's bad but give me give give me original doug give me rocket power give me the rugrats even though they're doing a 27 episode revival of the rugrats coming up give me nick arcade and double dare and legends of the hidden temple and guts oh man all of that above Ren and Stimpy, but it's a good show. It's a, it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I've sunken in my chair about 10 inches here while you said that. I, oh. guess, I'm, I guess I'm never allowed back on the show. No, now. no. You're, <laughs> actually, you know what? If Josh was on the show right now, he probably would agree with you. Okay. So, uh, I, that's okay. That's okay. Everyone is just entitled to their own opinions, especially on all the Nickelodeon shows. Although, you know, <laughs> but we won't go there. Once again, it is Greg Hall from We Podcast and We Know Things. You got to check it out. Again, it's on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over 30 different outlets. Greg, it's been great talking pro wrestling with you today and Nickelodeon as well. Cannot wait to have you back on the show and continued success to you, your co-host, and your program as well. We really appreciate it if you check us out. And thanks again for having me on the show. It was a pleasure and an honor. Appreciate it as always. And it's always great to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Based on the webcomic by Sarumaru, FX Unit Yuki is now available on the PC Engine and TurboGrafx systems. With eight varying stages of hardcore 2D action, an awesome soundtrack, and intense boss battles, FX Unit Yuki gets the adrenaline pumping as you navigate through its multiple difficulties and endings. Check out Old School Retro at its finest today by ordering a CD-ROM copy of FX Unit Yuki for the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics today at fxunityuki.com. That's fxunityuki.com. Football is here. It is back again and back back. again strong. (sighs) You know what that means. It is time once again for you to go ahead to your local pizza parlor or your local draft house or even online to one of the gazillion places that offer fantasy football because, yes, it is time once again for fantasy football. It is one of the preeminent things that we'd love to do here in pop culture. 
And who better to explain everything that you need to know for your upcoming fantasy football draft than my good friend, a man who's here not just for fantasy football, but his pop culture knowledge. It is my good friend. He is the host of the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, and I just struck a deal. Mm. Right in the back corners of <laughs> pop culture cosmos, I just struck a deal to have this man have his podcast, his thoughts. I don't want to say exclusively, but predominantly now going forward, at least in the interim, right here on the pop culture cosmos, it is my good friend, Mr. Tyler Baker. Oh, Great to man. have you back, my friend. I had so many things. Good that football's back. Good to be on the show again. And it's just so good to see football again. It's back. Off camera and off screen. And before we started the actual recording that Tyler Baker went outside to the backyard and hit a tackling dummy about 20 times, but <laughs> just to get ready for so this. Ready. Right, right. So get ready, ready for this segment right here. <laughs> but it is Tyler Baker. He is the man in the know, our fantasy football guru for Pop Culture Cosmos. And it is that time for everybody to start really mm. thinking seriously about how they're going to map out their upcoming fantasy football league draft. My friend, we've talked about the wide receivers, quarterbacks, and running backs. And now we deal with everyone else when it comes to the fantasy football portion of the draft. Mm. Defenses, tight ends, and kickers. Mm -hmm. In some cases, I know for me in the past, it has meant the difference between winning and losing a championship. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the prioritization of the kickers, tight ends, and defenses. Mm -hmm. And how much should people make this a priority, especially when it comes to the defenses and kickers, because everybody seems to leave them late in the drafts. Is it for good reason, or do you think people should choose otherwise? It's for very good reason. Every single time I've seen someone jump up in the 8th, ninth, 10th round and get a defense, it never works out. <laughs> it just doesn't work out. And the value that you could get at another position at that point in the draft far outweighs what you could get on a defense. And it's just so hard because you're taking an entire unit. You're taking 11 guys and all the subs and everything. Whereas when you're picking a certain fantasy player, you, you, you know who that guy is. Defenses are just not like that. And where some defenses are better than others, and some defenses are going to put up more points than other ones, it's impossible from year to year to really nail that down. I recommend and it's always worked for me, the second to the last pick in your draft, pick a defense, and your last pick, pick a kicker. And all of the good fantasy players that I know, they stick to that formula because you just don't know. And a lot of times you can find a really good defense with a really good matchup week to week. And guys call that streaming where every week you just find the best matchup of the defense on the waiver wire, pick them up, plug them in. And that seems to be a much more effective way than trying to nail what defense is going to be good in the draft and spending a pick for it. It just never works out. And as far as kickers go, that is so fluky. I mean, you have a couple stud kickers, you know, uh, uh, you're Justin Tucker and, and, you know, I mean, there's a couple kickers out there that are better than other kickers, but 
the drop off from your number one kicker to the number eight kicker is not enough to spend a high draft pick on and trying to guess it week to week just just doesn't make much sense the fantasy league that i commissioned we don't even have kickers (laughs) because it's so fluky and so when you're planning your draft strategy, plan on taking a defense and a kicker later in your draft because if if you spend a mid or mid late pick, you could rob yourself of taking a chance on that rookie that could pop. You rob yourself of the opportunity of taking a handcuff. And so I don't recommend spending any meaningful draft capital on a defense or kicker. Now as far as tight ends, there's Rob Gronkowski. And in my opinion, Rob Gronkowski is worth a second round pick. If you can get him in the third, definitely get him. But beyond that, I mean, Travis Kelsey has a new quarterback throwing to him. I think he'll still very much be a imp- very important part of that offense. But, you know, there are some question marks there. Greg Olson is back in Carolina. I think that that's going to mean really good things for Cam Newton. But I have recommended that people wait on quarterback, and I'm also recommending that people wait on tight end. You can get some of these late round tight ends later in the draft and be just fine. Your first seven, eight picks, I would concentrate on beefing up running back and wide receiver positions because that's a much better formula for fantasy success. All right, those are some words very pointedly from our good friend Tyler Baker at the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, which will now be part of the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, which you can find now on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and so many other different outlets. So it looks like it's going to be a great fantasy football season and a great football season overall. And my friend, you are going to be a big part of it right here with the Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm excited. Any last thoughts or last minute advice for everyone out there when it comes to their fantasy football team? Because I know a lot of people are already sweating it out. They're mm-hmm. already like been on mm-hmm. 500 sites already, already listened to sure. 10,000 podcasts and, <laughs> and already just like really just raking it over as far as, you know, scratching out who they should get on their list mm-hmm. and whatnot. What last minute advice do you have for those as they're getting prepared? for their, I guess, second part of their life, which is the fantasy football draft. You need to stay tuned to the PCC because we're going to let you know what's going on. Things change quickly during training camp and the preseason aspect. So you want to pay attention to injuries. You don't want to pay a whole lot of attention to the noise associated with it. A lot of reports will come out. Oh, this guy, this, this guy, that you want to pay attention to the injuries and when somebody gets hurt, like Jordan Matthews got hurt, that's going to be a really big blow to the Patriots. So we need to figure out how that team's going to look, especially the first four games without Julian Edelman. You want to pay attention to that. So just keep informed. Before your draft, you want to go in with the latest information. And when you go into your draft, first and foremost, have fun. You're there to have fun. But do take it seriously. Take my advice. Wait on a quarterback. Wait on a tight end. Try to get running backs early and often. Your last two picks should be defense and kicker. And if you follow that formula, you're going to do okay. You're going to be just fine. But tune in to us and we'll let you know week to week who we're looking at on the waiver wire, who is outperforming what we thought they were going to do, who's underperforming, 
we'll be watching the games and we'll let you know the particulars that will help you better manage your fantasy football team. And you can also go to the Facebook group and ask questions about your specific team. That will help you out a lot. That's right. It is the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. You go in there today, you ask the questions, and Tyler Baker does his best to answer them. Plus, also, there's over, I think, two, 300 people there, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, mm-hmm. that also are interacting and would love to answer your questions as well with their advice. And if it's me answering, I'm not sure, maybe the greatest <laughs> advice at all. No, I'm just kidding. I actually have won a couple leagues and now over the course of time. So maybe you, know, you never know. I might know something from time to it's time. It's good to get different people's opinions. Nobody knows it all. A lot of what we do is guesswork. I try to make my guesses educated. And I have a lot of experience playing fantasy football. So I rely on my experience as well as my day-to-day knowledge of what's going on. I read a lot. I listen listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a total nerd about it. So my opinion is probably a little more qualified than some. But what I do a lot of times is, is if somebody's a fan of a specific team, I'll ask them about their team because they know their team better than anybody. So when you get many different opinions, it can only help you make better informed decisions. Well, that's a whole lot better than my strategy, my friend, because I usually use a couple D and D dice and a Ouija board. So that's how I usually make my picks. So, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is indeed something that we are going to be doing on a regular basis. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I actually do a lot of research as well, along with a lot of other things that I do for pop culture and sports right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So yes, I do try to take it as seriously as I can, Ouija board mm-hmm. aside. But it is, once again, Tyler Baker. So glad to have him part of the Pop Culture Cosmos this year with his show, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. It's going to be like quick hits for you. It's nothing long, nothing nothing stretched out for you. It's quick hits from the man himself on his thoughts on the fantasy football scene each week. And that's going to be found right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos channels. You can download it, you can subscribe to it, and you'll be able to get that all for you right there. Tyler, I'm just truly honored, as always, to have you part of the show, part of the program, and now a true weekly contributor in an official fashion with us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking forward to it. So glad to have football back. And it's going to be fun spending the season with you, my friend. Absolutely. Until that first loss comes in and just hear me complain. (laughs) Just hear me complain. My friend, it's always great to have you a part of the show. And as always, a great part of the Pop Culture If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back once again. It's Gerald Glassford along with my good friend Josh Peterson. Josh, I know you wanted to talk early some Game of the Year thoughts because I know you and I are going to take it really seriously this year when it comes to the pop culture cosmos, humanic media, topicocalypse type deal when it comes to the Game of the Year. 
I know I solicited some early thoughts from some great gamers out there from our good friends at the Retro City Games. They've got a great Facebook group. Just go ahead and like it today. Be a part of it. Retro City Games on Facebook. They've got a great Facebook group, like I said. And they gave me some feedback on some games that might meet that fancy when it comes to some of the top games so far this year. So give me your thoughts on Octopath Traveler, Detroit Become Human, Celeste. Dead Cells is something that a lot of people are giving high marks to as well. But a lot of people are also pointing to something that you played a great deal of, and that's God of War on the PlayStation 4. That seems to be garnering a lot of momentum, even if for a game that was released earlier this year and gaining a lot of momentum as far as that end of the year awards type stuff. So I know we're still in the fall type season heading towards to it. So I ask you, my friend, you wanted to hear some thoughts and some feedback, and we do appreciate our friends at Retro City Games for doing so. What are your thoughts on some of the game of year candidates that could be out there? Is there anything else that you feel that might be something that people should take a uh, look at and and some games that you, they would be considered for game of the year? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple of them already on the list a moment ago, but I would love to see God of War thrown up there just because I honestly feel I've never I I never feel like a game deserves game of the year, but God of War it really changed things. And I know we've had a lot of conversations about this, but it it showed that you could take a game that people were fatigued or had franchise fatigue towards and turn it into something new, something emotional, something with a story that really will drive you from start to finish. And I think they did an excellent job with that. Octopath Traveler, great game. Shows that there's still uh, there's still life in the, in the JRPGs of yesteryear. And they did a good job of bringing... Um, you know, appealing to nostalgia characters as, as well as offering something new to people who who love those types of games. And I'm about I'm probably about three or four hours into it right now. And they just the, the story is really well written. I know a lot of people have problems with the dialogue and I haven't had any like lost fear moments yet, but it's OK so far. Uh, my other pick for game of the year is kind of a weird one because I would say Far Cry 5 just it was a fun game all around. Like there wasn't anything any time during this game that I was like, I don't want to play this anymore. It was the first game in a long time that I gladly played from start to finish without any complaints. And that's something that interests me because of the fact that it's not garnering a whole lot of momentum as far as any game of the year thoughts. It didn't get much feedback, if at all, from our friends at Retro City Games, reached out to other places. I didn't hear from that already. And I know other individual sites and other individual podcasts have also started talking about a lot of games that are out there. And Far Cry 5 wasn't mentioned really prominently among them. Why do you think that may be? Uh, just because I, I honestly, like, I I don't think the game sold as well as they're hoping. I know it sold to a, uh, a certain group of people, but I don't think as many people picked up this game, you know, as, as much as someone who would pick up, like, Call of Duty, God of War, or something like that. I don't think... It appealed to that much of an audience because they didn't if you think about it man like they they showed it off at e3 last year but it didn't really get the attention that it deserved it's kind of like uh, ubisoft came out and said hey here's the game that shows a little clip of it but they didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of it into the story into like the open world and the the different characters that you would be helping throughout your journey it's not the best year that i've seen so far shaping up by any stretch but it's a pretty solid year 
with Red Dead Redemption 2 coming right around the corner, which you and I will probably already say is got to be a game of the year contender. It's Fallout 76 and some other games that are coming out. Are they going to be able to match up to what Rockstar has to offer or any of the other games that we've seen already? Not sure, but we'll have to wait and see. It definitely looks like a very solid year for Game of the Year contenders, but there's going to be some time left for other games to pop up and be on our radar. What are your thoughts on the Game of the Year coming up here right around the corner? Let us know your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. If you don't do it now, no problem. Share us your thoughts in the coming months. If you really play a game that you think is the best year so far, we'd love to hear from you. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Before we head on out, congrats to all those who were part of the hit film Crazy Rich Asians, which scored above expectations, garnering over $30 million this weekend at the domestic U.S. box office in five days and hoping this will continue a positive trend for movies that will help Hollywood realize even more that there is always a market for quality filmmaking. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's a beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.